let's talk about our speaker tonight. His name is Kels. He goes by the moniker Kels. No one's for sure what his real name is, so you just call him Kels, okay? All right. A few things about him that I thought was pretty uh, cool. He married his high school sweetheart, which doesn't happen very often, but there you go. Married his high school sweetheart. Uh, he loves Cuba and Cubans, not the cigar. Okay. He loves the people, you know, the land of Cuba. Um, he's a barbecue fanatic. He loves to smoke barbecue and eat barbecue. Doesn't get much time to do that. He also is a uh, motorcycle rider. He likes taking out his motorcycle and not a Harley, not a Harley, but he does have a good motorcycle. And he did get to go out last week uh, for a little run, which is nice for December. But the most important thing is, uh, oh, actually, there's one little stat here. Just, nah, I'm going to skip that. You can, uh, you can ask me later if you want to know that. But, uh, you know, he's been a part of the OU ministry for about 12 years now. And about seven years ago, Max Barnett retired. Kels got the uh, kind of the nod to take over and to take assume leadership of the ministry there. God has been so good and gracious there and has, has brought forth so much fruit out of that ministry. Kels is here tonight to share basically what they do. You know, he's uh, like he said about himself, he's a one-horse guy. He uh, believes in discipleship and disciple-making, and that's what he's going to share with us tonight, and we're very honored to have you, Kels. Come on. Thank you, Jeff. That's a very gracious introduction. My name is John Kelsey. My mama does call me John, but uh, my uh, nickname uh, in elementary school was Misdemeanor. My fourth grade teacher started calling me that, and I was really glad when people started calling me Kels. That's not a nickname you want to go through life with, because I felt like that was probably going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, because misdemeanor would probably turn into felony at some point. So you can call me Kels. You can call me whatever you want to call me. I am honored to stand before you. I'd like to pray, and then we'll see where we can go with this. Okay? Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the honor, the privilege to stand before these men and women and to talk about the principle you gave us of making disciples. Lord, this is something you gave us to do. We are committed to do it, to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the best of our ability. Jesus, speak tonight to us. Pray, Lord, that your will would be accomplished perfectly. Lord, these men and women would not remember me at all. But they would be gripped. Their hearts would be broken. They'd be filled with passion for something that gripped my heart many years ago. And I've never been the same since. Lord, your will be done. Amen. Well, how are you guys doing in the carriage house this evening? Hope you're doing well. Welcome. You guys are great. Your troopers down there tonight. I want to say hi to you. I also want to make sure that we recognize the group that traveled the longest distance. We have some friends from Europe up in the balcony tonight, from Germany and Spain. You only thought driving from Wyoming or from New Mexico was a long drive. Think about Western Europe, right? So welcome. You know... I was a freshman at OU a long time ago, and I was sitting there in our Thursday night worship service, and my freshman Bible study leader, he was an Eskimo from Unicleet, Alaska, and I still to this day, I don't know how a guy like that comes to be a student at OU, 
And he was sitting next to me, and he wrote on my notes that I was taking that Thursday night in that worship service, and he wrote, Think Glenn. Well, I didn't know who Glenn was, and I didn't know what I was supposed to think about him. <laughs> but I found out after a while that that was Glen Airy, the international headquarters for the Navigators. And I also found out that that was the destination for our annual Spring Break Conference. And I had to go. I mean, anybody who was anybody in our ministry had to go to the Glen. And so, I mean, I was just a dumb freshman. You know, I, I went. I didn't have anything else to do. And I was kind of ornery, and I didn't really have much going on in my life at that time. But that week was meaningful. And I decided to go back my sophomore year, and I went back my junior year and my senior year. And I can stand before you today, and I can tell you that the best four weeks I spent at the University of Oklahoma were my four weeks here at the Glen. I mean, God did something in my life here. Now, there's nothing really magical about this castle. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, where I'm from, they don't have stuff like this, okay? (laughs) But God got a hold of me here. There was something about this place, the mountains, the bighorn sheep running around, and godly men and women, literally, that stood right here and spoke the Word of God to me. Extended time with God that I had here. Workshops, seminars, time to pray, time to get focused, time away from the distractions of life, meaningful times of worship, people that loved me enough to say some very hard things to me that I desperately needed to hear. So it's my prayer, and it's been my prayer for you, that this week would be all of that and more. You know, I've never spoken here at the Glen before in this capacity. Up here, in front of you, like this, here. Billy Graham has spoken here. Here. (laughs) I've given announcements here. I've, I've sang up here. I've led worship here one time. I did a few stupid skits. But I've, I've never spoken like this before here. John. <laughs> Thank you. So this is, this is special. And, and to be able to speak on something that really burns in my heart, disciple-making, that, that really means a lot to me. Also, it's special that I can speak um, and that there are some heroes of the faith that are here tonight. Heroes of the faith. A number of years ago, God laid on my heart 13 older men He told me, I need to watch these men's life. Older men that are doing something remarkable in the way that they live, in the way they conduct themselves. Hebrews 13.7 kind of men. If you're taking notes, you need to write this kind of stuff down, okay? (laughs) Hebrews 13.7 kind of men. Men that their marriages are remarkable, the way they conduct themselves, uh, their ministry, their integrity, their faith. And it just so happens that six of them are on the grounds this week. Men like Bob Anderson, he's one of those 13. He's a man of prayer. He spoke, you know, earlier. He's been praying for over 40 years, since 1968 during the Vietnam War. He was praying. He's been praying for China. Man is a man of prayer. He's one of my 
heroes because he's a man of prayer. Brett Yawn is one of those men of prayer. One of the most creative men I know. He thinks outside of the box. Fantastic thinker. He's one of those men. Bobby Pruitt, one of those men. One of the most enthusiastic men. When I'm with Bobby Pruitt, I feel loved. My son is in love with that family. Derek Gregory is one of those men. Derek is one of the best examples of a dad I know. Now, I don't know Caleb, Josh, Kylie, if they would agree with that necessarily all the time. But Derek, you're one of my 13 men. David Englehart is one of those men. David is amazing. He does all the little things right. His ministry is top-notch. In baseball, they call it small ball. You know, um, base stealing and running and catching and throwing. David's not flashy, but everything is excellent in his ministry at New Mexico State from top to bottom, all the time. I want to run the ministry to Oklahoma like David does at New Mexico State. He's one of my 13. And then Max Don Barnett, disciple maker, extraordinaire. He is... I named my son after him, Josiah Max Kelsey. I hope when I die to have half the integrity and the strategic mindset that this man does. Max is the same anytime, anywhere. He's one of my 13. Six of these godly men are on the grounds this week. And then a special treat, Waylon Moore is up there. Waylon Moore. Waylon Moore knew A.W. Tozer and Dawson Trotman. Do you know that? This man is an amazing storyteller. Are you kidding me? Ask this man to tell you stories. He is an amazing man of God. And he's here this week. You don't even know this. These godly men and women are here around you. Are you getting time with them? Are you getting meals with them? Are you picking their brains? We're talking about disciple making. You have to be intentional. It has to burn in your heart. Are you passionate about this? It'll change the way you think. It changes the way you operate. But you can't go into it haphazardly. It recalibrates you. My heart was broken over this 21 years ago. It's my prayer that your heart's going to be broken over this. And you start getting around men and women. And this runs through their blood. It's in their DNA. It gets, well... One man said it's the disease and you get it. And you start infecting other people. Well, I got it. And I maybe hope that maybe you'll catch it too. Dawson Trotman, founder of the Navigators, people that run this place, he always used to ask, who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Well, I've got mine. I've got my Pauls. Who are yours? Who are the men? Who are the women that you're watching their lives? They're pouring into you. They're your pace setters. And you're modeling yourself after them as they follow Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you have a Paul? Ladies, do you have a Pauline? <laughs> and who are your Timothys? Where are they? You know, right now there's a lot of emphasis on the glory of God. And there should be. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen? Amen. There's a great emphasis on missions today. 
And there should be. I love this quote by Jordan Grooms. If God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. I like that. There's a great emphasis on worship today. You've heard the quote by Piper. Missions exist because worship doesn't. There's a great emphasis on church planting. I helped plant a church five years ago. It's a lot of work. If you Google church planting, you'll get about 5.5 million results. Look, these are great things. You heard it this morning from Wayne. You heard it about 5 o'clock from Paul. You're going to hear it again from me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. All this, in my opinion, comes back to disciple-making. Disciple-making is how we glorify God. That's why we're still here. It's His great commission to us. See, evangelism, disciple-making, you can't break them apart. They're welded together supernaturally. I'd like to find the guy that split him up. I'm going to punch him in the nose. Evangelism and disciple-making go together. Don't separate them. They're welded together. It's how we glorify God by making disciples. It's His great commission to us. Disciple-making is God's primary vehicle for missions of all nations. That's the mandate. That's why we go, is to make disciples of all nations. Disciple-making is an act of worship. All nations will become disciples and then make disciples. What's more worshipful than that? That's what Piper's getting at. And disciple-making is how churches are planted. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What did Jesus just command us to do? Go and make disciples of all nations. When we do that... We have to plant churches because we don't have a place to keep all these new disciples. And they've got to come together and pray and worship and we've got to teach them the Word and equip them so they can go out and make new disciples. That's why we're planting churches all over the world. It, to me, it all comes back to disciple-making. So why aren't we making disciples? I, mean, I was born at night, but not last night. This, to me is what it all comes down to. So what I'd like to do in the time that we have, I'd like to very simply talk about what disciple-making is not and then talk about what disciple-making is. Are you with me? Where did I come up with this stuff? Well, when I've been in this for as long as I have, I mean, this is I'm swimming in this. I mean, I drink this stuff. I live it. I'm thinking in it. I'm just, okay, I puree. And I, 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 don't, I don't know where this comes from. I try to go back and where did I get this from? Where did I hear it? Some of this is from Bill Hall, disciple-making pastor. He's an author. A lot of this is from Max and conferences. And I don't know. After a while, it just, it's just part of who I am too. So if, if one of you guys, one of my six of my 13, if this is from you, stand up and wave your hand, okay? I, I, 
you know, it just, it's just part of our, of our theme of this network of disciple making ministries. It's part of our story of where we're going to make disciples of nations. Disciple making is not a program. Okay? It's not a program. Carriage house, it's not a program. A program focuses on learning the information, completing the material, developing certain skill sets. That's that's fine, but at its core, disciple-making is really a way of life for all of life. Do you see the difference? Man, it's so much more than just a program. Program's kind of cold and lifeless. I mean, I can change programs like socks, but man, a way of life. Man, this is who I am. This is what God has called me to. I remember once upon a time, I don't know if Max does or not, but back in the 90s, me and another staff member named John Crawford, we were working together at OU, and we spent about a week coming up with the perfect discipleship program. Yeah, we spent time, hours, we were back in our office, and we were going to come up with the perfect discipleship model. We were going to once and for all figure out the, this was going to be the way to make disciples on every campus for all time. <laughs> and we'd been working and working, and we came together, and I'll never forget Max in his office, and we came in, and he's in there working, and John and I were like, all right, Max, we want to show you this is it. This is how we're going to do it. And we, we made our little presentation, and we were a little nervous, but we thought, this is perfect. We, I mean, this, this cannot miss. And he was very gracious, and he kind of listened. And after, after we did our spiel, he laughed. <laughs> And he said, oh, yeah, some guys back in the 70s tried that. It didn't really work. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I forget, we went back into our office and we were crushed. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is back in the 90s, okay? I mean, we thought we had finally cracked the code. Nobody in all of the history of Christianity had figured out what we had back in our corner office at the BSU. <laughs> well, guess what? You can't just... You know, reduce this down to some little program. It's a way of life. And you know what? Disciple making also, not only is it not a program, it's not a production line. We're not cranking out sausages here, okay? <laughs> We're dealing with people. We're dealing with students. Students, right? You're dealing with your peers on your campus. These are people you love, you care about. You need to put some thought into what you're doing. I really appreciate Tom Yakely and what he shared in the workshop this morning over in Bighorn. He referred to 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. He said, according to the grace of God given to me, Paul's saying this, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, but somebody else builds on it. And each one must be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul says, hey, I'm a master builder. Now look, you're going to build something. You're going to do it right. You need to think about what you're doing. You ever laid concrete? My dad used to have a cement mixer. And he and I used to pour some concrete together. You know, you just don't show up and start pouring. You think about what you're doing. It's a lot of work. My little wife up here in the front row. Her grandfather, master builder, had a ninth grade education. He has built... At least 20 homes, two-story homes, literally from the first turn of the shovel 
to the last finishing nail completely by himself. Would not let anybody help him. Nobody. It's nuts. Okay? (laughs) This is what he did for 40, 50 years. Built the entire house by himself. Every piece of it. This master builder would dig the footing with a shovel by himself, built the forms by hand, put in heavy gauge wire, fencing wire in there for some rigidity, and he'd mix up the concrete in a wheelbarrow. He poured everything by hand by himself. It's amazing. He did this up until the time he was in his late 70s. Jim's dad had tried to go over and help him. He would not let him do it. Now, if that man with a ninth grade education would do that over a home, don't the souls of men and women deserve the same level, or if not more so, level of care, forethought, and effort than that? It's not a program. It's not a production line. But we need to think strategically. We need to have a plan. But remember, God's plan is not symmetrical, okay? God likes to do some pretty crazy things just to let you know He's God and He's in control of this. And you're not going to put Him in a box. If He wants to bring revival to your campus and see 48 people pray to receive Christ at Chico State in Northern California, then just hold on and see what happens. Amen? Amen. Just, that's just the ride. Ultimately, disciple-making is more about the Christ-likeness of each disciple than our strategies for growing our ministries. You understand? Because we're glorifying God when we make disciples. And I learned a lot of that from Harold Bullock, pastor down in Fort Worth, Texas at Hope Church. Talk about a guy that's pretty smart. Oh, my. And he really talks about focusing on building biblical character into the lives of students. Fantastic. Third, it's not just for beginners. Disciple-making, a lot of times we relegate that to children, you know, that brand new convert, and then we just move on. But disciple-making is not just for beginners. Listen, new Christians need basic training. Absolutely. If you don't believe me, read the book of 1 Thessalonians. That is Paul's handbook on disciple-making. How Paul did it. But once we've learned the basics of the Christian life, then what? Have we arrived? Does it stop there? Churches are full of people who were discipled as new believers, but no longer walk with God today. Right? We've seen that. Hebrews 5.12. It's a scary verse. For though you should in fact be teachers by this time, you need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God's utterances. You have gone back to needing milk, not solid food. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to be a lot further along by now. What happened? You've lost a lot of spiritual ground. You should be eating steak. I love a good T-bone, medium. But instead, you're sucking on the milk bottle. We've seen that a lot in our churches, in our ministries, haven't we? Because the process of disciple-making, once initiated, went for a season, then stopped. Why? Because they completed the program. They graduated. We gave them the certificate. All done. That's why disciple-making is not just a program. Doesn't work that way. 
It's also not just for leaders. Leaders. It's not just for you. You haven't cornered the market on this. There's a major disparity today between the haves and the have-nots. If you want to get training, a lot of times you're said, well, you, you know, it's told, you, you just need to go to seminary. Oh, man, you're really serious about the Lord? You just got to go to seminary. Now listen to me very, very carefully. I love seminary. I've been to two seminaries. I've studied at two seminaries. Next week, I will have taught at my third seminary. I am for seminary. We send a lot of our students to seminary. Don't anybody go out of here or on tape. Go back and rewind this and say, he's talking bad about seminary. Okay? I am for seminary. Seminary changed my life. Okay? All right? But I believe, and I've I've witnessed it firsthand, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? There is a spiritual elitism between those in, quote-unquote, professional ministry and laymen. Look, 90% of the students that go through our ministry are never going to go to seminary. They're going to go into the workplace. About 10% of the students from our ministry at the University of Oklahoma are not going to go into professional ministry. They're not going to go to seminary. They're not. So what? do you see what happens? If we say, hey, if you really want to go where the action is, you go to seminary. Well, then I've just alienated about 90% of my students. Where do they go? What are their options? If the only disciple-making takes place in the seminary. And it's for the religious professionals. Do you see the problem? Now, the seminaries are not promoting that. But there is a, an idea circulating in some circles to that extent. Laymen have a much broader influence than I do. Let me tell you about Josias. Josias, my friend, is the second youngest vice president in the history of the Federal Reserve Bank. He knows Tom Bernanke. Now, that doesn't really get you very far nowadays. But that man is a disciple maker. And he helps shape fiscal policy in the United States today. Let me tell you about Brett, my friend Brett. He manages all of the gas plants in the state of Oklahoma for a major gas and electric company. But Brett will tell you, first and foremost, he's a disciple maker. And then there's Brian. I love Brian. Brian has a top secret clearance. He works on a top secret base. And he manages our country's nuclear weapons arsenal. But you know what? He's a disciple maker. And that's what he loves to do. Now guess what? Those men have a sphere of influence I can't possibly imagine. And my wife can tell you stories about gals, ladies, in similar positions. I just know about these men because they're my friends and I disciple guys. Men disciple men, ladies disciple ladies. So what are we to do? All Christians are disciples and by default, disciple makers. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. We are all going to make disciples one way or the other. The question is to you, students, carriage house, balcony, everyone, what kind of disciples are you making right now? 
Someone's watching you. Someone's patterning their life after you. Don't kid yourself. You have a sphere of influence. You're making disciples. What kind of disciples are you making? Whether you realize it or not. The goal of biblical disciple making is to be transformed into the image of Christ and to reproduce spiritually. The New Testament provides the discipleship growth process for Christians. Let's follow that model. Effective disciple making must be biblically and theologically grounded. Let's follow that model. And you know what? Disciple making is also not just for the brilliant. Woo. <laughs> this is where I come in, okay? It's not just for the smart. I used to be really intimidated by the disciple makers that stood up here and that I heard speak at the Glen when I was in college. I mean, really. I thought I could never be like those guys and those girls. I could never do that. Do you ever feel that way? You thought, I, I never could be like these people. They're not like me. They're smarter than me. They're more godly than me. You know, 21 years later, not much has changed. Let me tell you something. I'm from a place that's called Sweet Potato in Creek Indian. I grew up on the backside of Sugarloaf Hill. My dad called me and he said I wasn't worth a bucket of warm spit until I was 12. And he wasn't joking. I was at least smart enough to know I need to, I need to marry up, okay? So I married my high school sweetheart. And she's the most godly woman I know, hands down. But she grew up on an oil lease down by a place called the Snake Farm. Okay? You can't make this stuff up, okay? I mean, listen, you know, Max always used to say, God makes straight licks with crooked sticks. Man, when he told me that, I just I felt a lot better. <laughs> and I never forget that time, Max, you were driving us through, you know, Littlefield, and you told me about that story about your pet pig in the trailer. And I just I just felt, I mean, I listen, God will use anybody if you're willing. You don't have to be a brainiac to make disciples. Because one of the dangers of disciple making ministries is that they reward only those people that have a great big vocabulary and just really smart people. If you feel a little intimidated right now, relax. They let all of us in the front door here. It's a big door. There is a lot we can learn because of the great wealth of resources available today to Christians, right? Because of our technology, we have a lot of opportunities to learn. Just because you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer doesn't give you any excuse to go through life stupid. You can make choices... To grow. I had to make some intentional choices to grow. Just because you're a little bit behind now, doesn't mean you have to stay behind. Learning is hard work. Now, I love you, so I'm going to shoot straight with you. Get off of Facebook, World of Warcraft, ladies, Pinterest, (laughs) fellas, Modern Warfare 3, or whatever else takes up your time. Are you listening to me, Carriage House? Get off of that stuff. Because let me tell you something. That is devouring the vapor Paul Wooster was telling you about. The vapor of your life. You are not reading. Number one, your Bible. 
Number two, you are not reading classic books that you have to read. You're not. Read books that are hard to understand. I'm not talking about Sports Illustrated. Read books that you don't agree with. It's hard work. Do the time. There's no excuse for it. Not in this country. No way. Listen to messages on discipleshiplibrary.com. Discipleshiplibrary.com. And don't just listen to people that reinforce everything that you think is great and right with the world. And defend your pet soapbox positions. You understand me? Do the hard work and be a learner. The word disciple, mythetes in the Greek, means a learner. Be a learner. No excuse for it. That's part of the price you're going to have to pay. Got a promo right now. Some people are going to help pass out a couple of flyers. If you got those, you can start helping us out. That's right. Come on, step up. Help me out. Pass these out. Along these lines, we're going to help you out, okay? Because I know you all need a break. Project Impact. Fantastic opportunity. Yeah. They're passing these out also in the carriage house at this very moment. There's a great website, goprojectimpact.com. Goprojectimpact.com. There are three projects, one in California, one in Denver that my wife and I will be leading, and then one down in Glorietta, New Mexico. All the information is there. We'll train you. We'll help you become a better learner, work on evangelism, how to read your Bible, how to memorize the Word, how to get a job, how to keep a job, how to cook, how to clean. We're going to teach you about finances. Because training starts now. Are you in? You want to be dangerous? You want to make a difference? Cody and Cherry Johnson from Campus Ventures are going to try to come down and make some noise with us maybe, right? Yeah? So... We're going to be in Denver, but if you want to rock it down in uh, Glorieta, New Mexico, or uh, the gang out in California, you're going to try to cause some trouble in Costa Mesa. All the information, go projectimpact.com. Deadline is February 15th. Ryan Jeffers, you know a little bit about it. It's life changing, isn't it? Apply and come and get some training and start getting to work in your walk with God in ministry. But listen, let me tell you something else too. God also moves among those people who do not have access to great education. So we're not talking about you. There are a lot of people around the world who don't know how to read and write and who love Jesus and God is using with great effect. Did you know the majority of people who served Christ during much of Christian history were illiterate? You know, some of the most godly, spirit-filled people of faith in countries where I have worked could not read or write. Their discipleship training was in an oral tradition. These people were also facing intense persecution as well. So again, we don't have any excuse. We have great opportunity. These people, God took them where they were and He used them. Disciple making is not just for people who like structure. 1 Timothy 4.7 But reject those myths fit only for the godless and gullible and train yourself for godliness. It takes training. Project Impact 2012. 
We must train for godliness. It requires discipline. And that is not opposed to grace. Those are not mutually exclusive terms. It necessitates group and structure. Few people can accomplish training on their own. We do need each other. It's not an accident. This is an intentional strategy that is biblical, logical, and purposeful. And you see it throughout the Scriptures. Very quickly, what is disciple-making? It is motivated by a burden for a lost. Hey, is Wayne Sheffield and Paul Rooster, are they broken for the lost? What do you think? Did you see it? Did you hear it in their voices? Did you sense the passion? Are those men broken for the loss? Absolutely. We better be broken for the loss too. Because Jesus is broken for the lost. Lost people matter to Jesus and they better matter to us. Ken Wright said that. Romans 9, 1 through 3. Romans 9, 1 through 3. I am telling the truth in Christ. Paul says, I am not lying, for my conscience assures me in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, my fellow countrymen. Paul says, I wish I was lost that they might come to know Christ. Are you willing to say that for your campus? That is a burden for the lost. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Bob Anderson referred to Francis Xavier, missionary to India, the Philippines. He was on his way to Japan when he died. I love this. He said, Tell the students to give up their small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of Christ. I think that one's still good today, don't you? Students, give up your small ambitions. Go preach the gospel of Christ. That's what disciple making is. It's a burden for lost people. It's also a life-on-life relationship with a younger believer that God uses to help them grow. It's a life-on-life relationship with a younger believer that God uses to help them grow. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 That's on the wall in the living room of my house. With such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have come, become so very dear to us. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 And 1 Timothy 4.12 Let no one look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in your speech and your conduct and love, faithfulness and purity. It's life on life. It's not a program. Disciple making is understanding the power of imitation and influence. Do you understand the power you have? Do you? Philippians 4 9. Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul understood it. Do you? The biggest problem I see in training students today is that they do not realize the impact of their influence to negative consequence. It comes up all the time. 
all the time in our ministry. I beg our students, do you not understand? Students are watching you. Your friends, your peers are watching you. Your family, they're watching you. We do not understand. We do not understand the influence that we have. If you can get your mind around that, if you would live in such a way to understand your influence, your disciple-making power will go up exponentially. I promise you. I'm curious, for all of us, what lifestyle changes then would follow? Would our personal holiness be affected? Some of those gray areas might not be so gray. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7. And that our gospel did not come to you merely in words, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. See, Paul got it. Surely you recall the character we displayed when we came among you to help you, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, despite great affliction. So what was the result? Well, you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Power, imitation, and influence. That's what disciple-making is. Also, disciple-making is getting disciples into God's Word as you do. Getting your disciple in the Word of God as you do. Modeling to them how to feed themselves. Teach them how to feed themselves. Remember, this is a relationship with the Father. We fellowship with Him through the Word of God. So you teach them how to put the Word of God in their heart. Use the navigator hand. Hear the Word, read the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word, meditate on the Word, and then apply it. The navigator word hand. If you want a copy of it, email me. I'll send it to you. Talk to your campus minister. It's all over this place. It's the Glen, okay? It's a fantastic illustration. Now, my dad's missing a finger, so it was always hard for him to teach the hand, but, you know, I mean, most people got two hands and five fingers on each one, so, I mean, that'll, that'll teach everywhere. And then I'll never forget, Waylon Moore, you taught us up in Kansas City the five ways to teach. Tell them why, show them how, right? Get them started, keep them going, teach them to reproduce. Waylon, I've taught people that all over the world. And I always give you credit. I always say, this wild disciple maker, Waylon Moore, taught me that. <laughs> People all over the world are doing that. They're reproducing. You're having a legacy. You're still having an impact. That's a great way to teach people how to teach. Tell them why. Show them how. Get them started. Keep them going. Teach them to reproduce. There's another hand illustration. Basic body parts. So if you go to a culture where they don't have you know, paper and pen, you can always whip out you know, fingers and hands and you can start teaching. Works every time. Disciple-making is teaching also people how to live a balanced Christian life. Teach people how to live a balanced Christian life. The power of community. Okay, we need to do this together. Look at Acts 2. They figured it out in Acts 2. There is no understanding of Christianity apart from community in the New Testament. And somewhere in American Christianity, we took a pretty hard left turn. I hear it all the time. Oh, I'm not into organized religion. Well, my church is the great outdoors. What? It's the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever heard. I hear it all the time on campus. There is no understanding. There's no expression 
of true faith apart from community in the New Testament. You don't see it. There are no Lone Rangers, no Rambo believers in the family of God. Also, disciple making is helping people understand who they are in Christ. It's not only being balanced, but it's understanding who we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 So then, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look! What is new has come. We're new! Praise God! We're new! All that old stuff is gone. We're new! Or Galatians 2.20 Man, these verses changed my life back in college. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Man, I'm new. In this life I'm living, it's Jesus. It's a Jesus life. It's not a John life. It's not a misdemeanor life. It's a Jesus life. Now look, whether you're a leader or a student in your ministry, you might have to spend more time here with people in your ministry than in years past because of the widespread brokenness and the woundedness so many people carry today. Okay? Don't blow through this. Spend time with people. They're hurting. They're broken. They're wounded. Healing takes time. Disciple-making also is helping people develop a vision for the glory of God and reaching all the nations and helping them make a commitment to do that as well. Disciple-making is helping them develop a vision for themselves. Not your vision, their vision. Sing that Matthew 28, 18-20 vision for themselves. Seeing the glory of God working itself out in making disciples of all nations. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole inhabited earth as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Praise God. And then a verse I heard for the first time here at the Glen as a sophomore. Acts 20, 24. Paul says, I do not consider my life worth anything to myself so that I may finish the task and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. It's 2024. Wow. Help the men and women you're training to lay hold of this for themselves. Whether they work at a bank, or they're the city dog catcher, it doesn't matter. Whether they're in a professional ministry setting, it doesn't matter. We are all engaged in the vision of reaching the nations. Whether it's on our knees, going, giving, we're all intimately engaged in this. I just like this quote, so I'm gonna, I don't know how it fits, but I just like it. <laughs> Alexander Duff said, I will lay my bones by the Ganges River that India will know there is someone who cares. Man, that old boy wanted to reach India. He's going to lay his bones there so the people of India would know that there's somebody there that cared about him, cared about these people, that Jesus loved them. He's going to take that kind of sacrifice, that kind of commitment to tell 
800 million Hindus about Jesus Christ. Are we willing to pay the price? Hey, if we're going to reach Saudi Arabia or Muslims about Jesus, don't you think there's going to be a few martyrs along the way? It's not not going to be all sunshine and rose petals. Do we have what it takes to do that? I don't have a death wish, but let's just be honest. It's going to take radical commitment, and we have to model that. That's not taught, that's caught. And when we're aflame, then the men and women that we're training and equipping, they might just happen to catch fire too, for the glory of God. And then finally, there is a finally, help them to reproduce spiritually. Help them to reproduce spiritually. That's what disciple making is. 2 Timothy 2 2. The granddaddy, and entrust what you've heard me say in the presence of many others as witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. You know, Paul was writing his last letter. He was likely only two weeks from death in a Roman jail. And he's writing this young pastor. He's saying, Timothy, okay, I'm giving you everything I have. Take it and trust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do this. You see, there is no disciple making unless there is third generation fruit. Do you understand that? Jerry Fine told me that, a layman. So it's not enough that you just help somebody grow until you see them helping somebody else grow and reproduce. Then you know you've got something cooking. Why don't we pray? Father, it's a lot of words. I've been flapping my arms around a little bit. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would just help us to understand this is something that is on your heart. And it's not about our emotions or how excited we get or how long we talk. This is a biblical reality. This is your objective truth moving through time and space. You will accomplish this. And you're calling us forward to join you in a holy and sacred work. I pray, Spirit of God, you would pierce our hearts and the hearts of these men and women before me to surrender, to lay down our agendas, our comfort, our control, and to give our life to making disciples, whether it be a teacher, an engineer, stay-at-home mom, youth minister whether they're going into politics the name at the desk doesn't matter it's the mission on our hearts that you put before us in the truth of the scriptures be glorified Lord God in this your will be done Amen